Acts 4, Part 1, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Well, good morning, and uh, thank you for joining us. Good morning to those in the nursery. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, back in 2000, my wife and I, we moved out to Los Angeles, California, and I went there to attend seminary to do my studies there for the, for, for the next three years. We sort of made plans that we would not have any children until I graduated and we're heading back to New Jersey because it just didn't make sense for us to try to have a family when family wasn't around us. And so we just thought, well, let's just wait, put it on hold for about three years, and then when we get back, we'll, we'll start to try to have a family. Well, most plans don't often go as uh, we hope it would go, and so we found out literally about six months after uh, we got to California, my wife was pregnant. And uh, we were shocked by that, uh, a bit surprised, but we had to embrace the reality of this happening sooner than we had anticipated. Uh, my wife, unfortunately, had to endure really a, a, really a rough nine months of pregnancy. Uh, she started out with a bit of morning sickness, and, and moms, you can relate to this, when you, certain smells will get to you, and so she kept throwing up and different things like that, and so she experienced that for a season of her pregnancy. Uh, but then the thing that was the hardest for her was that she, at six months, she had to be on bed rest because she started to dilate. And so she was working at the time, and so she was not even allowed to go into her work. She would kind of stay home. She was on bed rest. And I think she kind of liked staying home, but she didn't like the fact that she really couldn't do anything. Um, and then the other part of it was that uh, her foot just really started to swell. I mean, she wears a size five and a half, and she couldn't wear any shoes anymore that didn't fit her. So we went to Target. We bought her a pair of slippers. It was a size nine. That's how big her foot, I used to say you have elephant feet. And, uh, and so she suffered, she suffered. And then on September 25th, she kind of felt like this was it. She had some serious contractions. And so we went into the hospital about 10 p.m. at night after a small group at a church. And we stayed at the hospital to the very next day. She was in labor for the entire night. And probably around like mid-afternoon is when we finally had Christina. And I just remember just the suffering my wife had to endure for the nine months and to just sort of like, uh, sort of a climax at, that, at, at, at having labor and giving birth to Christina. And when she held Christina in her arms, it was like all worth it for her. She saw the blessing of this beautiful girl. And it was such a blessing, she signed up for two more. <laughs> and she wanted another one. She wanted a fourth. I said, honey, no, you've suffered enough. You don't need another child. It's okay. But she wanted two more after that. And it was just amazing. And it got, you know, the second child, the, the, the birth, the, when, she was, uh, when she was in the hospital, I think it, it was easier. But even the pregnancy process was hard. It was even harder for the second. A Christian, the morning sickness lasts for several months. I mean, it was even harder for her. But, you know, I think for a lot of us in this room, we will sign up to suffer if we know that there's a blessing attached to it, Right? None of us in this room would ever choose to suffer if there was no blessing attached to it. Nobody in their right mind would do it. In fact, a lot of you are so good at circumventing potential opportunities of you of suffering, perhaps, if you sort of went a path that might lead to a road to suffering. A lot of you know how to avoid those things. But I think a lot of us in this room, we would actually sign up to suffer if it led to a blessing. So then the question I think I have for us today is this. Would you suffer for Jesus Christ today? Would you sign up to suffer for Jesus Christ 
if there was a blessing attached to it. So I don't think any of you in this room, including myself, we would just suffer for the sake of suffering. But if there was a blessing attached to it, I think it makes suffering so much more worthwhile for every single one of us in this room. So much so that when some of these disciples of Jesus suffered, you know what they started to pen in the Bible? Look what James 1-2 says. This is what James 1-2 says. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. He says, consider it pure joy when you are going through trials of many kinds. Jesus says to his disciples in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and we focus on the entire gospel of Luke in uh, 2016 and 2017. Uh, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Underline that word daily if you have your Bibles and follow me. Jesus says that if you really want to be a follower of me, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a disciple today, he says you have to sign up to suffer not just once or twice a year, but he says daily, that we have to be willing to do this. So what we find and what we learn is that so much of the Christian faith has a deep component of suffering to it. And I think for a lot of us, the reason why we don't sign up for it is because we don't see the blessing that's often attached to the suffering. Today, we're going to look at the first 22 verses of Acts chapter 4. And we're going to, it's going to be the inauguration of the disciples suffering for Jesus Christ. It's the beginning, and it's going to get worse, and it's going to get much worse. And we're going to see that, and we're going to journey through it in the coming weeks. But suffering, uh, we will go through it no matter what in life. A lot of you in this room, we will suffer no matter what. It's just a part or a season in life. Some of us, as a result of some of the poor choices we've made, we've suffered tremendously because of it. And some of us, we've suffered because we didn't have any control over it. It was quite accidental that happened. We got into car accidents that we never thought that we would get into. Uh, we, uh, We got sick or maybe we have family members who got sick. And so we entered into a season of suffering that we were not prepared for. And some of us, we suffer in such a bad way when we do. I always say it's always better to suffer with a purpose than without. And today, Jesus is gonna invite you and I, all of us today, he's gonna invite us to sign up to be a follower of him. But if we are to do that and take it seriously, we have to be willing to sign up to suffer. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna see that there's a major blessing that's attached to it. So what I wanna do is I wanna answer three key questions. When do we start suffering for Jesus as Christians? That's the first question. Why should we suffer for Jesus? That's an important question to answer answer and ask. And then the last thing is how do we suffer well? How do we suffer well? Because if we don't suffer well, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. So if you turn with me to Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. Acts 4, 1 through 22. I'm reading from the New International Version. The priest and the captain of the temple guards and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Now, please remember what happened last Sunday, right? Peter and John, they healed this paralyzed man. And because they healed this paralyzed man, people know that this guy was paralyzed since birth. He was there every single day in front of the temple courts, and now he's healed. People are going bonkers because they just witnessed a miracle, and they're wondering what's going on. And, Jesus, and uh, Peter and John are saying, Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the one who healed this man. And so now people are starting to figure out what's going on, and we're going to see that many people come to believe in Jesus this day, right? So this is what's happening. So verse 2, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. 
They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for the act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then confer together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a noble sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from speaking any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because of all the people were praising God for what had happened for the man who was miraculous healed was over 40 years old. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. God, I pray that you would really open our ears wide, open our hearts. Help us to understand that if we're going to really follow you, if we're serious about it, suffering is just part of it. And I pray that everyone in this room today would sign up to follow you wholeheartedly. And God, that they would sign up to suffer for Jesus Christ. That we would see that there would be no other greater thing that we could strive to experience and to live for than to live for you. And in the process, God, that we would see the enormous blessing that comes from suffering for Jesus Christ. And so I pray that as we look at these 22 verses, that you would help us to understand why it is that you've called us to suffer, why we suffer, but also teach us how we can suffer well so there's an amazing blessing that we experience through it all. So I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, God, I pray that it will be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen. All right. So when you look at this passage, you'll find that this is the beginning of what Peter and John and the other disciples begin to experience in terms of suffering. All right. They, they spend an evening in jail. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a, a, a lot of suffering, but it's just the beginning. And in the coming weeks, you're going to see more and more in how they experience suffering because they are proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. Acts, this entire book of Acts, it challenges us to anticipate suffering as an indispensable ingredient of our life in Jesus Christ. That you and I have to realize that this is a hallmark to what our faith in Jesus Christ is all about. That we have to be willing to suffer, that we have to choose to do it. And, and when you and I choose to obey God in this way, 
we will suffer. Now what is the obedience that God is looking for you and I? It's for us to live out and to sort of, to exemplify the great commandment, which is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That if you are really serious about doing that, to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves, you really will suffer for Jesus Christ, amen? You will. You really will suffer for Jesus Christ. And you'll experience it, unfortunately. And that's exactly what happens with Peter and John here. All they were doing was loving on a brother. They just healed a guy who was lame from birth. That's all they did. They were just loving their neighbor as themselves. And it landed them in jail. And it also landed them to stand on trial before the Sanhedrin council. And so when you look at this, when you and I are serious about living out the great commandment, we will suffer. But there's a blessing to it. There's a blessing that comes. The question we got to ask ourselves first is when will we suffer? When will we often suffer if we are truly serious about living for Jesus Christ and especially living out the great commandment? What we learn in the story is that we will begin to suffer when we become a threat to the establishment. You and I will begin to suffer when we become a threat to the establishment. Look at verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guards and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000 people. Peter and John were thrown in prison because they were a threat to the Jewish establishment. They were a threat to the Sanhedrin Council, which is the supreme court of our day today. It was the highest governing body in Jerusalem, of course, under Roman jurisdiction. The Sanhedrin Council was consisted of high priests. It was consisted of Pharisees and Sadducees. And you know that Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. So you can only imagine how infuriated they got when they kept hearing that Jesus Christ had resurrected from the dead. It didn't make them very happy. And the high priest, guess who was among one of the high priests? It was Caiaphas. You remember Caiaphas in the Gospels? When Jesus stood trial before the high priest, guess who was there? Caiaphas. Caiaphas was one of the high priests that wanted Jesus to be killed. And so he was part of, 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 of murdering Jesus Christ. And now all of a sudden you hear these apostles say that Jesus Christ has resurrected from the dead. And Peter goes on to condemn them and, 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 and say that they are the reasons why Jesus Christ was murdered and was killed. Not only were they a threat to that establishment, but what was happening was that there was a critical mass that was beginning to form. 5,000 people gave their lives to Jesus that day. Just men. That's not even including women. 5,000 people gave their lives to God. And so because of that, they took notice. And these uneducated disciples became a threat to the establishment. When you and I become a threat to the establishment, we will suffer for Jesus Christ. All right? Oftentimes the threat is this. You are shaking up the status quo. You are challenging the status quo. Now, what is the establishment today in your own life? It, it, it could be, it can be government. Yes, it can be the government. It can be, uh, it can be other religions, perhaps. But I think for a lot of us, the establishment could actually be your family. That maybe you grew up in a home and your parents were kind of always in charge and they kind of sort of panned, sort of, sort of gave you a roadmap to how you are to live your life and now you're married. And uh, even though you're married, your parents are still really involved in that marriage. 
and you're trying and your spouse is really upset about how your parents are really involved. And a lot of times, at least in my experience, as I hear, a lot of it is always like the moms are the ones that are so involved. And they're causing so much hardship in the marriage. And, and so as a result, they're trying to figure this out and trying to draw boundaries. And, and it's been so hard. And, and the establishment could be actually putting your foot down and saying to your mom or to your dad and say, you know what? You, you can't. You can't keep trying to control my life. You can't do it. When we first moved back here from California after seminary, my mom gave us the down payment for us to buy a condominium in Palisades Park. It was a lot, it was six digits. She gave it to us. Here you go, pay for it. She lived in South Jersey at the time. Because she paid for it, she just thought she could just come on up whenever she wanted to and sleep over as long as she wanted to. She'd call us on a Friday, hey, guess what, we're coming up and we're gonna stay for at least a week. I mean, it happened over and over again and my wife kept looking at me and saying, you cannot let her do that. And I said, I know, but just, we can't tell her she paid for this house. Can't do that. She was the establishment in my life. And if I didn't do anything about that, if I didn't challenge the status quo, it would ruin my marriage. My wife's patience was this thin. And so I had to muster up enough courage, and I said to her, I said, Mom, um, if you don't give us one week's notice before you want to come up, you are no longer welcome to sleep here anymore. Was she angry? She ignored me for a few months. She wanted to talk to me. She used everything. How could you say that? You know how much I sacrificed for you. We gave you the money to buy this house. We live in Cherry Hill. Our church is right here. It just doesn't make sense for us to go back home to Cherry Hill. We could sleep here and hang out with our friends. I mean, she did the whole thing. And I said, well, you just, you can't do it. We had to challenge the status quo. Maybe that's you. That's the establishment. Maybe God is calling. When you, when you do that because you're trying to love your wife, you're trying to love your spouse, your neighbor as yourself, you're going to become a threat to the establishment. Perhaps maybe your parents spent six digits on your college education and you went to a good school and, you're, and you've pursued a profession that you feel like is really good. It's making good money, but it's not fulfilling your heart. It's not fulfilling your life. You know that you were not put on this earth to do this. And perhaps maybe God is leaning you towards another profession, a profession that is not as esteemed as what your parents had hoped, you, as what your parents see in your current profession. And perhaps maybe God is calling you to take a position that's, that's completely different, but you're afraid to do that because your parents spent a lot of money on your education and they've become a, th and if you shake up the status quo, they're not gonna like it. Maybe they are a threat to the establishment, they are the establishment in your life, right? Maybe your boss is a threat to you. Or maybe you've become a threat to your boss. That when you start to love your neighbor as yourself, when you start to do certain things, maybe your boss will become a threat to you. And there are certain things that maybe you need to talk to about your boss. Maybe in how he's treating some of the employees. And you don't want to get him angry or get her angry because if you do, you might get fired. And you don't want to step in for some of the employees that maybe your boss is hard on. And you don't want to do that because if you do, you might ruffle the feathers and it might become a threat. And he may or she may not like it. And she may treat you harshly as a result of it. Maybe you hang out with certain friends and they're just social friends, but every time you get together, I mean, it's just not good stuff. You don't ever come home feeling like, man, my soul feels so good. That just this negative stuff and maybe you guys participate in things you shouldn't be participating in and you want to maybe confront some of them about it, but you're afraid to ruffle the fetters and confront the status quo. And so as a result of it, you're afraid to do that. Who is the establishment in your life? When you are set to live out 
this whole great commandment of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, you will be a threat to the establishment. Look at what John 15, 20 says. Jesus says, remember I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. 2 Timothy 3, 12, Paul the apostle says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not like you might be persecuted, you will definitely be persecuted. Metro, uh, back in, in the spring, and some of you maybe just started coming out recently, and, and that's great, uh, but back in the late spring, we started a, a building campaign. We've been a portable church for the past 14 and a half years, and we feel like it's time for Metro to finally have its own home. And so from late April to June, uh, to the early June, we did a capital campaign. Our hope was to raise about two and a half million dollars so that we can use that as a down payment to buy a piece of property or something in this Englewood area. And uh, for those who pledge, thank you for doing it. Make sure you continue to give because it's a three-year pledge that we had. And I know it's not easy. My wife and I are finding it difficult too, but we're going to be committed to giving what we pledged. And we raised about, in pledges, about two point, a little under 2.7 million. God was really faithful. And you, you and I need to know that we're, and for some of you who might be new, we're not trying to build uh, a church building. We're building a community center for the city of Englewood. And um, the city of Englewood has never had a community center in its history. And yet the community has been screaming out for it. The establishment, for some reason, the establishment of this city has always sort of vetoed a community center being built in the city. In its history, if you, do a, if you do a study, they've never had one. Do you think this church wanting to start a community center for the city, do you think if we do that, that we're not going to suffer as a church? We are, because we're going to become a threat to the establishment here. It might be to the local government, it might be the board of education, it might be to some religious organizations, it might even be to some key leaders, but we will. But I hope Metro Community, I hope that we all can come together and that we would rise up and for the sake of Jesus Christ, that we will gladly, gladly, as a community, suffer together. Amen? Amen? For the sake of the people in this community, that that is the mission and the vision that God calls us. I mean, how many of us will ever get an opportunity to be a part of something like this in our lifetime? How many of us will ever get an opportunity to do something that's going to literally be historical in the city of Englewood? How many of us get invited to that? I mean, how many of your friends who go to other churches will get invited to be a part of something this unique and this amazing? But mark my words, we will become a threat to the establishment. They're not going to like this, and they're going to do something perhaps maybe to come against what we're trying to do, but we have to be strong and resilient, and we have to believe that this is all part of following Jesus Christ. It's all part of it, Metro Community Church. About a month and a half ago, we had a community meeting. We invited everyone in the community to come out. It was a great attended event. Probably about 35 people from the city came out, some elected officials, some people who I consider to be gatekeepers of this community. I'm going to tell you right now, it didn't start off well. These folks got up and they were contending us. They didn't trust us. We shared our vision, what we're going to do. I shared the, historic, the history of Metro and our vision and why we want to build this community center. And there were some of these gatekeepers of the city. They got up and they started questioning a lot of stuff that we were doing. I mean, it was one of those meetings where you didn't have to ask any more questions. There were way too many questions. Everyone kept raising their hand. They kept asking questions. And there was this one particular lady that just kept hammering, hammering and hammering us with questions. And I remember just being reminded, oh, yeah, this is serious stuff here. We are in the midst of a spiritual warfare that the enemy has been winning for the longest time in the history of the city. And that he's not going to be happy as we come along. And luckily, there was this one woman who raised her hand and she finally said, you know what? I don't trust the city. 
The government is never going to build this community center. So I don't trust you guys. You're never going to do it because if you said, you, you've said time and time again that you're going to do it, but you've never done it. So thank you, Metro Community Church, that you want to do this. And I remember just, I want to like spiritually high five her and be like, yeah, thank you, lady. <laughs> thank you. And then another woman gets up and, and, and initially she was a little apprehensive about it, but she said, there's no place for my daughter to go after school. There's nothing for our kids. And if you guys are really serious about this, we're going to put our support behind it. And it just started kind of trickling and there were some other things. But it reminded me, Metro, that when we are serious about doing this, it's not going to be a walk in the park. We're going to be a threat to the establishment here. And there's going to be people wanting to come against what we're trying to do. And we as a community, we have to be willing to do it. Amen? Amen. Why? They're saying, why should we suffer? Why? Why can't we just build a a building, Peter? Why can't we just build a church and not a community center so that we don't have to put ourselves through this kind of suffering? There are two key reasons why that Peter teaches us. The first is this. It's because of the gospel. You and I have to be willing to suffer because of the gospel message. Look at verse 10. Peter says this to to the Sanhedrin council. He says, know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Why should we be willing to suffer? Why do we need to build this community center? Because of the gospel message. Because there's a God who loved this world so much that he decided to come And send his son, Jesus Christ, to come and die for us. Why? So that we can live in an intimate relationship with him. So that we can really be connected deeply with the very God who created us. To put that in perspective, growing up, my favorite celebrity, bar none, was Michael Jordan. Having worked in the television industry for a few years, in the news industry, I was so hopeful that I would meet him one day, but I never got a chance to meet him. But I just remember, I just thought to myself, what would happen if Michael and I just kind of connected? And maybe we had a moment He looked into my eyes, I looked into his eyes, and he saw there was something special about me. And he said, you know what, Peter? I don't know you, but I'd really like to get to know you. I'd really like to connect with you at a deeper level. Oh my, I'd be like, really? Michael, whatever you want, wherever you want me to go, I'll be there, I'll get to know you more. That's just, that's just a basketball player. This is a God who created this universe. He sent his only son to come to die for us so that he can get to know us and so that you can get to know him, so that you can walk in this life. And even as you go through seasons of suffering for him, you'll see an amazing blessing attached to it. This is the very God. This is the gospel message. And why should you and I be willing to suffer? Because the world needs to hear that message. They need to hear that there are people dying. They need to, people need to know that they don't have to feel like they're dying. They don't have to feel like they're living a life of hopelessness. That there's a God who understands the depth of people's hopelessness so that they can be hopeful. They need to know this. That's why you and I should suffer. Because it's the greatest news that ever, is, that ever existed in the history of this world. And because of that, we should be willing to suffer for the sake of this good news. The gospel gives deep meaning to our suffering. And when there is meaning to our suffering, it's okay to go through it. Every single one of us, it's okay to go through it. Jesus promises that when we decide to follow him, we have to be willing to pick up our cross daily and follow him. 
That means we are going to suffer. Every single one of us, it is just part of it. But we do it because the gospel message bids us to and it's worth it. That if you've actually experienced the hope and the joy and the peace that, it, that comes from being a follower of Jesus Christ, how can you just keep that? I mean, how can you just keep that to yourself? How? How can you just say, you know what, it's just for me, I'm not gonna worry about it. How can you just keep that to yourself? And we live in such a pluralistic society today, Metro. Everyone likes to say, well, you know, all paths lead to heaven. All paths lead to heaven. There's even a universal church where everyone could come and all, anything you believe is okay. The gospel message, what Peter is saying to the Sanhedrin Council, he's saying there's only one way to God and that's Jesus Christ. You don't think that's going to cause us to suffer a little bit, living in a pluralistic society that you and I live in today? That we're saying that there's no other way. There's no other way to get to know God. There's no other way to experience life after death in heaven. There's no other way to have hope, even in hopeless situations, apart from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And we have that. We know it. We've experienced it. We're testaments of, 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 of experiencing God's love. How can we hold that just to ourselves? and not share it with people that God has brought into our lives. The inhumanity of that, that if we have this good news, that we should do our best. And that's why we want to build this community center. We want to build this community center for several reasons. The main one is because there are young people here and they've grown up in broken homes and they're experiencing deep sense of poverty. Even here in Englewood, it's hard to believe. Englewood is actually a rich town. If you look at the median income, but it really is a tale of two cities. But there's some, there some people, a good number of people that are living in this community that are living in poverty, broken homes. And as a result, they can't even focus on school because they're too broken in the, with the things that they're experiencing. And God has given us an amazing opportunity to come alongside some of these young individuals to serve and to love, to mentor and to care them, to love with no strings attached, and just to love them, to let them know that there's a God who loves them truly. That's our vision and our hope. It's not necessarily to proselytize, but to love them with no strings attached. There is an aging senior citizen group here in Englewood, more so than I thought. And do you know that the age group that's marginalized the greatest in our country are the senior citizens? And they need to know that there's a God who loves them. That even in their age, they're not done yet. That there's still a lot more that they can live and experience in life. There's a lot of people in this city where English is their second language. And we have an opportunity to come alongside some of these folks and help them with that. I mean, it's just amazing. And you know, that's part of why we wanted this. But you know why we want to also do this? It's because there are geniuses in the city that if you can sit down with them, because you're geniuses as well. We have so many professions represented um, in this church. Could you imagine, I, I believe there's some future entrepreneurs here that are, that are, that are just budding for success future, in the future. And some of you people own companies, you own businesses, you're successful at what you do. If you sat down with them just for an hour or two and just share with them the knowledge that you have on entrepreneurship, on starting a business, do you know how you can bless them? Bless their families through that? That if some of you here in this room, you, 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 you're great at technology or software, engineering, all that kind of stuff. There are people who just love that kind of stuff, but they don't have an opportunity. If they just sat with you for an hour or two and you just poured into them and share with them what you know and let them just fall deeply in love with it so they can stay committed and enter into a path that will lead them to that place, do you know how that can impact their lives? 
that there are artists in this city, that if we can come around, we have some professional artists in this church, we have people that are deans of acting schools, we have people who work in the film industry that are leading those industries, that if they just sat with you and you sat with them and just talked to them, mentoring them, do you know how that can impact their lives? There's so much potential in this city, but it's been masked because of poverty. It's been masked because of brokenness in this world. And God has called us to start something to serve the community here in Englewood. And we have a part to do it. Why do we do it? Because of the gospel. And yes, it's going to require some of us to give up our Saturday sometimes. It's going to require some time. Yes, it's going to sacrifice all of us to pledge that for the next three years we're going to give money to this so that we can build this thing so that it can become a, literally an outpost to God's kingdom here in this city that will cause us to even suffer as a church and as a community as we are committed to doing this because the gospel tells us that we must because there's a world out there that needs to know that Jesus Christ loves them and cares for them. And I don't know why, but God just uses people like you and me to do it. Imperfect people like you and me. But what a privilege we get to do something like that. The second reason why we, we got to suffer is because it teaches us to depend on the Holy Spirit. We deepen our dependence on the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what I want you. When you suffer for Jesus, nothing will teach you how to depend upon the Holy Spirit more than suffering for Jesus. Amen. You really will learn to depend upon Jesus when you are suffering for Jesus. Uh, when we first started our church at the Fort Lee Athletic Club, the man that was there was named Thomas. He was an older gentleman. He fought in World War II. You know what he said to me? He said, Peter, there are no atheists on the battlefield. Everyone depends on the Holy Spirit. When you and I suffer for Jesus Christ, I guarantee you we will learn to deepen our dependence on the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens to Peter. Peter is getting ready. He suffered. He spent the night in jail, and a lot more suffering is going to come his way. And he says, it says that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what's so comforting about this? Jesus warns him that this is going to happen. And look what he says in Mark chapter 13, verses 9 through 11. Look what Jesus says. He goes, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogue. That's going to happen in a few chapters from now. On account of me, you will stand before the governors and the kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit speaking. Jesus knew this was going to happen. And he says, hey, when you suffer for me, don't worry. The Holy Spirit's got you. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Just open your mouth and start speaking and trust that it's the Holy Spirit speaking. That must have comforted Peter when he stood before the Sanhedrin council because they all wanted him they all want Peter and John to be killed, that he spoke with such boldness in that way. What I love about Peter is that you look, if you look at his life in the Gospels and you see his life here, it's so different. He's transformed. Jesus calls Peter Satan. Remember when Jesus says, hey, you know what? I'm going to get crucified on the cross. And Peter goes, pulls him aside. He goes, not you, Jesus. You can't. You're the Messiah. Remember, I just said that you're the Messiah. You said on this rock, you're going to build the church through me. You can't die like that. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Remember at the, uh, at the Passover and, and Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And he goes, even if I have to die, Jesus, I'm never going to do that. I will never deny you. And he does. 
That's before Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's before Peter knew what it meant and how he was able to live his life when he depended upon the Holy Spirit. Because when Peter depends upon the Holy Spirit, he's a different person. 5,000 people give their lives to Jesus. A lame man who's been paralyzed since birth is now walking. Why? Because Peter depends on the Holy Spirit. And as he's suffering for Jesus Christ, Peter will depend upon the Holy Spirit. Why should you and I suffer? Because it's the only way we're going to learn how to depend upon the Holy Spirit. You think you're going to need the Holy Spirit when everything is good? When we are suffering for Jesus Christ, it'll teach us how we can deepen our dependence on the Holy Spirit. And I hope that that will convince you enough to say, you know what, I will suffer for you, Jesus Christ, for the sake of the gospel and also so that I can learn to depend more on the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what the book of Acts is about. It's about these 12 men that learned how to deeply depend upon the Holy Spirit. So then how do we suffer well? How do we suffer well? Because you waste your suffering if you don't know how to suffer well. Because if you don't suffer well, you're going to suffer really badly. And when you suffer badly, you get very angry, you get upset at God, you start blaming people, and it, and, and it becomes a really hard, hard reality for you and for me. First, we suffer well by being loyal to God. You and I suffer well by being loyal to God. Verse 18, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Remember, the Sanhedrin council could order them to be killed. That's how powerful they were. So they gave this order and they expected it to be followed. But look at what Peter says. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? Who, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter and John were not just, they were not just wanting to get out of getting hurt or, or, or to stop the suffering. No, Peter and John were loyal to God, even if it meant them to suffer more in Jesus' name. You and I have to learn to be loyal to God, regardless of what happens, that we really have to learn to do that better, and the Holy Spirit will be with us. And so how do we suffer well? When you're always loyal to God. And I know sometimes we think, all right, I don't want to suffer anymore, so I can't, maybe I can't be loyal to God. And that could happen in the most subversive way sometimes, right? In a very little way. It could just be like, you know, you come to church and maybe hanging out the church all weekend, and you go to work on a Monday, and they say, hey, what'd you do? And you don't want to kind of say you were at church because maybe like that might not sound hip in your workplace. And you just say, oh, yeah, you know what? I just hung out with some friends this weekend. And, and listen, be loyal to God. Be loyal. There's going to come a time in your faith where you and I are going to learn that we have to learn to be loyal to him no matter what. Because if we cannot be loyal to God, we're not going to suffer well. Peter and John suffer well. You're going to see them suffer more and more and more but the reason why they suffer well is because they're loyal to God. You're going to suffer no matter what. I say let's suffer with a purpose by being loyal to our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? The second way in how we suffer well is by being courageous. You and I have to be courageous. All right, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Here's the deal. When you and I can be courageous before others, when we're suffering... You know what they're going to conclude? Oh, man, this person has been with Jesus. This sister, this brother has been with Jesus. The Jewish people, the Sanhedrin council, were amazed at the courage in which they spoke. It wasn't just what they said, but it was the courage and the authority that was carried in their message to the Sanhedrin council. 
It required a tremendous act of courage, and that's what they did. And you see, we have to learn, if we, if we want to suffer well for Jesus, we have to learn to be courageous. We cannot be timid. We have to be willing to be courageous. About a month and a half, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, there was this Korean real estate guy, and he called me and said, hey, I want to get together with you. And so I said, all right, well, come on in. And so he came in, and he was with, uh, Pat, and I invited Kevin, of course, to sit in with me. And, um, and uh, he he does a lot of work for Englewood properties and he does a lot of work for churches. He finds them properties. And, and so he just, he came in and he goes, I hear you guys got a community center already. I heard you got Liberty School. And we said, no, we didn't get Liberty School yet. Stop spreading that rumor. Because if somebody told me that you guys got Liberty School, I said, no, 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 we didn't get it yet. We're trying, we're pursuing, we're praying for it. But do not spread that rumor because that's, that's false right now. He said, okay, my bad. All right, he said, my bad. And so then he started talking about just the community. He's done so much work here. He knows some of the politicians, some people here. And as he was talking about this, I just, I, I, I liked what he was saying, but he kept saying this message over and over again. He says, Peter, do you believe the church is called to do this? Do you believe it's the church that wants to build this community center or is it just the community center? And I said, no, it's the church. The church wants to do it. And he kept saying it over and over. He kept asking me, Peter, Peter, do you think? And I'm like, why do you keep asking me this question? Yes, it's the church. All right, it's not just the community center. Stop asking me this question. I started to get a little annoyed at him. What he was saying is simply this. He's saying, Peter, be courageous. Let everyone in this community know it is because of the love of Jesus Christ. This is the reason why we're building this community center. He said, don't hide behind that. Be courageous. Let them know that it is the church, not Metro Community Center, but Metro Community Church that's doing this. Why? It's not just because we have a heart for people. No, it's because we love Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ loves us. And as a result of that, we're going to stand courageously with our brothers and sisters locked arms here in this church. And we're going to say it's because of the love of Jesus Christ that God has called us to build a community center for Englewood, New Jersey. Be courageous about it. You and I have to learn to be courageous, not not thinking about how do we get people to like us quicker. No, if you want people to really, really like you for a long time, it's about being courageous because people love courage. They love when they see courage. They're attracted to courageous people because it's so different from the kind of world in which you and I live in today. It is. You know, I find sometimes, which is really funny, like young people, like if you call them on the phone, they get so scared because they never talk on the phone anymore. And they're just so timid. They don't know what to do. Like, oh, yeah, hello? And you, you want to talk to them on the phone, and, and they can't do it because they're just not used to it. They always just type. They communicate through text. I think we live in a generation today where, where we, we are timid. We're timid to be ourselves. We're timid to stand tall. We're timid to, to, to affirm even who we are and what we believe in. And God is looking for people. Jesus is saying, if you want to pick up your cross, be courageous. If you're courageous, you're going to suffer well. You're going to suffer well. The very last thing, we suffer well by suffering in community. We suffer well by suffering in community. Again, last week I talked to you about ministering in teams, right, so that you don't steal God's glory. Well, listen, you shouldn't suffer by yourself. You need to suffer with some people around you. Peter was with John in jail. When Peter gets flogged and get beaten up later on, guess who's with him? John is with him as well. We should suffer together in community. Don't ever suffer by yourself. Don't ever think like you're the knight in shining armor for the church or for anything. Say, you know, it's me that's going to suffer. I'm going to walk out of here and I'll suffer for the group. I'll take one for the team. No, you're not just the only one to take one for the team. We all got to take one for the team. 
We all have to suffer together as Christians. And when we do that, we will suffer well together. When we're loyal to God, when we're courageous, and when we suffer together in community, we will suffer well. And we'll grow and we'll see such a blessing attached to it. November is an is a interesting month for me. Well, interesting because it's the anniversary of my father's death. Three years ago, my father passed away. And it, you know, I was, thought I was really prepared for it, but I really wasn't. And when he passed away, it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Kind of put me in a little bit of a rut. And those who've lost parents, you know what I'm feeling, right? You know it, you get it. Um, on top of that, during that time, uh, they, there was sort of this mini exodus that was happening in our church. And, you know, we, we, through attrition rates, we've lost people from time to time and stuff, and that's just part of our church as well. And as I, I think it's part of any churches you've been a part of. And I just, I've, I've come to sort of accept that as an ordinary thing at Metro Community Church. But in this particular season, probably like towards the end of that year when my father passed away and towards the new year, um, we had about a mini exodus, about 30 to 50 people kind of left the church. And uh, it really was hard. It was hard for me. It was hard for even our pastoral staff. And uh, because those people, some of these people were leaders in our church, uh, and they served and they gave financially, we really started to hit a financial crisis. I mean, we thought about laying off staff people. Kevin and I had to have a really difficult meeting one day. We came up, we had to come up with a list of who do we need to lay off if things don't change. I mean, it was that bad. It got that bad. And the major reason why uh, people left for certain reasons, some people left for different reasons, but the, the general crux of why there was a good number of people that were leaving was simply because they had come a place where some people believe that our church focusing on racial reconciliation was more political than it was deeply spiritual. And so we as a church had to stand up to that. And we continue to focus on different things. We focused on um, black people and brown people experiencing harshness with law enforcement, and I think that really kind of got people perturbed a little bit. But I think I can understand why people would feel like this is a political issue, but it's a gospel issue at the center of it. And I was trying to communicate that with the church. Our staff was trying to communicate that with people. Kevin had series of meetings with other people. I had series of meetings with people. We've just had meetings and meetings and meetings with people, and it just felt like it was too political. It wasn't spiritual enough. And that was hard, because some of these people I deeply loved and I truly care for it. Some of these people were leaders in our church, and they left. And um, I tried to explain to our church that the gospel isn't just about our reconciliation with God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, talks about our reconciliation with God, but 11 through 20 talks about the, the horizontal, where specifically Paul says that through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has destroyed the walls of racial hostility. Read it. Ephesians 2, 11 through 20. Read it. It says that. And so if we're really about serving the least, the last, and the lost, and the, and the poor and the oppressed, if we're really serious about that, justice has to be a big part of our compassion. We only want to focus on compassion. We don't want to talk about justice. And justice gets us perturbed because in many ways, justice asks the question, how have I been complicit in the injustice? How have I been complicit in racism? How have I been complicit in sexism? How have I been complicit in some of these things? And nobody, nobody likes to figure that stuff out for themselves. And so I understand it, but it was hard. It was hard. And that was the whole season with my father's death and everything, and there was just, there was just a lot of stuff going on there. But at, at one point, 
I just had to say to myself, and thank God I was with community. That's why the suffering in community is the most important thing. Because, man, these guys, like Kevin and David, I got together with them every Wednesday, and they just heard me yelling in the room. And they, those two guys never yell. They're so spiritual, and I feel so inadequate around them sometimes. I'm just like, guys, just start sinning in front of me so I feel better around you. All right? Sometimes I feel like that, but I would just lose it. And then they would calm me down, help me to see something that I didn't see. And I just felt so much better after it. But then they would always try to join in in what I was feeling, and that, and that really was helpful. But at some point, I had to ask myself, am I going to be loyal to the vision and to the, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or am I going to be just loyal to people's opinions? And will I continue to stand courageous on this? Or do I back away and be timid about it? And God's blessed our church. God's brought more people to our congregation. And I'm going to be very honest with you. We would not have had a successful capital campaign if that didn't happen. Because we want to serve the community here in Englewood. And there would have been a regime, there would have been a group of people that would not be too into it. And it had to happen. It was painful. But it had to happen. When you and I decide to live for Jesus, we will suffer. It's part of it. It's part of the gospel. We'll learn to depend upon the Holy Spirit. Being loyal to God, being courageous, and our willingness to suffering community will help us to see a tremendous blessing attached to the end of our suffering. And so my hope and my prayer today is this. Suffer for Jesus. There's no greater thing that you can invest your life in today, honestly, than when you choose to suffer for Jesus Christ. Suffer for him so that you can see the blessing of what life can be like when you depend upon the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, it's never easy to suffer for you. And Lord, in the book of Isaiah, you ask, who will go out? And who will proclaim my love? Who will go out and who will also do my will? Meaning rebuking the people of God. Who will be willing to do it? And amazing Isaiah raised his hand and said, here I am. Send me, I will go. And today, I believe God is asking you. The question is specific. Who in this room are willing to go? Who in this room are willing to pick up their cross daily and follow after God? Are you? Metro Community Church is not a country club, my brothers and sisters. God has called us to be a community where we will be an outpost to the very kingdom of God. And that means that we as a church have to be willing to sacrifice, to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And the question I have for you today is, will you suffer for Jesus Christ? Will you suffer for the gospel message? I want to give you a few moments to just think about that. This could be one of the more important decisions you make, especially maybe even this year, to say that you're no, you're no longer going to just follow God just so that he can just bless your life here in New Jersey but that you're going to follow him because you want to suffer for him. You want to proclaim the gospel. 
You want to know what it's like to depend upon the Holy Spirit and open your mouth and words come out. You have no idea where it's coming from, but it's coming from somewhere. It's the Holy Spirit. But you can be courageous and stare the establishment in the eye and say, it's because of Jesus we do this. There's something in us when we, when we hear these words, even when I'm sharing now, it does something to our soul. We were made to live for Jesus. We were made to proclaim and to fight and love people with the gospel message. So may you be loyal to God. And even as you suffer, may you suffer in community. And if you may pray that prayer, where you say, God, I will suffer for you. I hope that you experience the most incredible blessing you've ever experienced in your life, knowing that God is there and he's with you and he can redeem any pain that you and I go through in our lives. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters, especially for those who've made that decision, God, to suffer for your name. I pray, God, that you would be with them. I pray that they would sense the presence of your Holy Spirit, not just with them, but inside of them. I pray, God, that they would have full authority and they would give you full authority over their lives every single day so that they can be loyal to you. They can be courageous. And as they suffer, that they can be in community so there's others who can hold them up when they can't stand up. God, we've missed this portion of the Bible. We've missed this component of our Christian faith. So many of us remind us today that you're looking for people to raise their hand and to say, I will sign up to suffer for Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that we would do that and we would do it, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for this challenge today. Thank you that you use people like us to do this. In your name we pray, amen. There's some next steps that I'd love for you to take. Can you please fill over your communication card? There's several, actually. Uh, the first, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, you've never done that. If you've checked that off before, please don't check it off again. You don't have to. You're already a follower of God then. You don't have to. But if you've never done it, please check it off, all right? And then go out to the next table and one of our pastors will be there. They'd love to give you a new believers packet. Second, please send me info on how I can create a rule of life. Listen, if you say you're gonna suffer for Jesus, you need to have a rule of life that's gonna keep you grounded so that when you go through the hardships and suffering for Jesus, that you can stay grounded. If I didn't have a rule of life, I don't think I could have made it, all right? And so if you, you may not even know what a rule of life is, don't worry, just check that off. Make sure your email is legible on this card, okay? I will send you instructions on how to create a rule of life and I'll even give you my rule of life, but don't make that public, all right? I'll share with you my rule of life as an example, but I will show you a rule of life. You're all living according to certain rules. Some of you don't even know it, but you have rules that you're living by today. I say, why not create a rule of life that you ask the Holy Spirit to help you to create? and keep you grounded so as you suffer for Jesus, you can stand tall. The third, I would like to get baptized in water on November 18th, that Thanksgiving Sunday service. If you've never been baptized in water, please check that off today. Today's the last, I think the last Sunday that you can do this because they're gonna have classes next week, all right? Fourth, please sign me up for the Connections Dinner on December 2nd. That's sort of for like our newcomers who want to learn more about Metro. If you want to do that, it's to be at my house on the 2nd of December. And the fifth, please sign me up for partnership class on December 9th. Sixth, if you're kind of new to the church and you would like to, we're going to have an informational meeting uh, by the end of this year of anyone who wants to learn more about our Beyond the Building campaign. If you want to learn about how maybe you can participate, please check that off. Kevin, myself, and others will get back to you. And we'd love to invite you to like a dinner or something. Just share with you a little bit about what God's doing, what God's called us to do. So if you're fairly new, you haven't come to this church probably since like the summertime, you may want to just check that off. I'd encourage you to be a part of something. 
where we're gonna make history in this city, all right? Uh, so please check that off and we'll get back to you on that.